Welcome back to Out of Range. I'm Craig. I'm Hannah. This is your talk show about real things diabetes. And today we're delving into a, I don't know how you would describe this. Pivotal change (laughs) in your diabetes advocacy journey. Yeah, I I guess this is about me, but it's, it's about more than me. So let's set this up. A couple weeks ago, I resigned from the Beyond Type 1 Leadership Council. I posted my letter online so everyone could see why. And I think today we're just going to start kind of unpacking this for people uh, to kind of, you know, see between the lines, I guess. Um, Where should we start, Hannah? Well, maybe just a history of, you know, how you got involved with Beyond Type 1. What were you doing there? And then whatever feelings you have with actually resigning. Okay. So um, I don't remember when I first heard about Beyond Type 1, but, you know, like most people, I saw the Instagram posts and the Nick Jonas stuff. And I had I had done some stuff when they were in town once. It was a it was an advanced screening of Jumanji, and Nick Jonas was actually there. It was actually a picture of of me and a bunch of other people, kind of taking a picture with Nick before the show. Was he in Jumanji? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Did this. you not see it? No. Fantastic! You have to watch it. It's okay. Great movie. So. Um, you know, there's all these like type ones in the audience. A lot of people who I knew in LA who were connected with Beyond Type One in some way. And you know, Nick comes out before the show and kind of gives a shout out to Type One, and then kind of disappears. And at, around the same time, I had a nonprofit I had started with James Mansfield that was uh, called Type One Run. It began as a running group in LA because we wanted to train for the LA Marathon together without having to raise a boatload of money to wear a JDRF shirt. And it kind of grew from there and it was fun and people wanted you know, to just represent type one diabetes without it costing them anything. And that was something we really tapped into and I, and I, and I think was awesome. I still think it's awesome. And then one day the then CEO Sarah Lucas was down in LA for some meetings. Uh, she showed up on one of our runs. Afterwards, we went to brunch and we chit-chatted about what we were doing. And she was like, I love what you guys are building here. We want to try and help you. And I was like, you should just absorb us. And then we can take advantage of your you know, giant social network and just focus on doing the things we want to do instead of you know, all the, you know, selling shirts and, you know, or shipping shirts, I guess we weren't really making money on them and, you know, this and that. And everything was great. Uh, you know, all bunch of people heard about us right away. And part of us joining was getting to be on this leadership council, which at the time seemed very elite. And I guess I later found out it, it didn't really mean much at all. It's kind of just a, an empty title, I guess. You know, in theory, at first we had meetings where we would just talk about what we were doing and then those eventually went away. And so we were just names on a website and, and kind of giving our implicit uh, approval 
of things by being there. It was kind of like a, I don't know, like a list of donors you would have in a museum, except we didn't really have to give money. Um, and then, you know, about a year or so went past and Beyond Type 1, for the first time, took money from an insulin maker. And this is like, I guess, a good segue to say that when Beyond Type 1 was founded, they were very explicit in saying that they would not take money from insulin makers uh, because they didn't want to have a conflict of interest when talking about insulin pricing. Yeah. And uh, we remember that too, kind of within the insulin for all community where beyond type one in the early days, 2016, 2017, they weren't taking the insulin manufacturer money and they were actually seemed really supportive of our efforts and funded type one internationals advocacy toolkit in some way. And so they weren't just not taking insulin manufacturer money. They were actually kind of in the insulin for all fight in some small way too. Which, which is a big deal, right? To have a, a organization that has that many followers and that much reach advocating for insulin for all, as opposed to other things that they're doing now, which we'll get to, but you know, this is, Late as, um, what is this, March 2018, they were even tweeting saying, you know, did you know we have a policy in place to make sure, you know, we're on the sides of patients, not pharmaceutical companies sponsoring us. So in um, early 2019, they started Beyond Type 2, it was around that time, and one of their sponsors was listed on the website for Beyond Type 2 as Glucagon. I'm like, well, Glucagon's not a sponsor. Like, it's Eli Lilly. And you kind of had to dig in to see that. And they had run some article about Glucagon uh, on their website. And, you know, we were like, hey, should we say that Beyond Type 1 is taking money from Eli Lilly? Like, that's a pretty obvious conflict of interest, you know, you just kind of have to say those things. Like everyone here has listened to a news story where it says, you know, NPR comes on and they say, Amazon did this thing. By the way, we also take money from Amazon, just so you know. And they, they were not willing to disclose that information at the time in that article. And then it must have been, I guess it was 2020 then. So about a year later, year and a half later, is when getinsulin.org happened. And then they were accepting money from all four major insulin manufacturers. So the big three plus Mylan, who's now called Viatris, I think. And that is uh, how they have insulin money now. And I mean, you, you remember when this website was launched, right? I mean, it, Everyone had to have seen this. Yeah. And so was that really the first big project where they were taking insulin manufacturer money besides the glucagon? Was getinsulin.org really the first one? I believe so. That was the first time I had seen all those sponsors on one site. Presumably these talks were going on for a while and that might have changed their messaging at some point. You know, hard to like pinpoint this is when things changed. 
you know, from the messaging standpoint. Yeah. And I know we used to knock them. I think this had to have been 2018 or 2019 when they were doing the slipstream events and were being sponsored by mankind. And so we used to kind of throw that back at them where we were like, well, mankind is an insulin manufacturer. And you said that you weren't going to take this type of money. And it just feels like it was a, not that you know, I really think mankind was a huge issue or not, but it was just kind of the first instance where, okay, you've got this policy in place, but you're not really thinking about it as you're starting to accept money for these activities. A slippery slope at slipstream. Yes. I like that. Jumping back to sort of me now, um, you know, this was mid 2020 um, the blur that that year was. And I think I was getting more involved in the type one Twitter community, which I, you know, have had a Twitter since I reserved my at beta cell podcast, uh, please follow me name, but didn't really use it. Twitter was, and still kind of is a enigma to me. But I was getting more involved in there in that, and I think that's where a lot of this insulin for all conversation happens. Not so much that I've seen in Facebook groups or on Instagram, and you know that um, you know just learning more, especially from like the stuff you were posting on your data blog. You know, I think made me more aware of what was really going on in the insulin pricing world. And it wasn't all just the free market, complicated system, capitalism, rah, rah, rah kind of stuff. Yeah. It was interesting watching you come into the insulin for all space too, because, you know, we had been over there having these conversations for a couple of years and not really necessarily having as much of a reach elsewhere on other social platforms. I mean, definitely there's people in the insulin for all community who have amazing platforms on Instagram. I don't know about Facebook. I don't really go there. Um, But watching you come in and just be so like ready to jump in and be involved and have all these ideas. I think our first Twitter combo was about you wanting to go through all the nonprofit org tax returns. I was like, oh, cool. Someone who, you know, can think like me wants to get into the data wants to, you know, democratize that. It was very cool. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, and, and I think what really just got me frustrated was really the kind of about face of Beyond Type 1's kind of, I don't know, moral statement. The, the way that they could so easily in 2018 say, you know, we are specifically not taking insulin money because we want to be objective about this to we are taking money, but we think that us taking money puts us in a unique position to actually make change. Well, that's what they all say too. Like every single org, every single influencer, like everyone says that. And where's the change? Exactly. And, and it, it opens up this, you know, very, you know, complicated conflict of interest that it, it's really hard to look at something and say, 
well, you guys didn't say this. You know, it's, it's easy to see when someone says something pro pharma, right? Or, or that's factually wrong, but it, it's hard to pinpoint when they're not saying those things, if that makes sense. But, you know, one of those instances, and, and this kind of comes out of beyond type one evolving from just, you know, like advocacy, you know, Instagram pictures and blog posts and whatnot to kind of this news organization, right? Covering diabetes, tech, drugs, announcements. And I think that's where you first start getting real issues with conflict of interest. You know, if someone's paying you and one, you're not transparent about it. So we all know about this potential conflict of interest. um, That's an issue. And then do you hold back, you know, what you say because of that, Um, whether that is an implicit or, you know, an implied kind of deal you make with the devil. So I did a episode of uh, Beta Cell with Sierra Sanderson, and she talked about her resignation from Beyond Type 1 uh, on that. It was actually like the episode where she, I don't know, announced the world she had resigned. And it's great. Everyone should listen to it. I'll put a link in the show notes. But uh, she, she, you know, for her, it was this very real issue where she uh, saw an article on Beyond Type 1 saying, you know, X insulin maker has a deal for $35 insulin during the pandemic. And she said, well, I'm having a really hard time affording insulin. I'm going to go to my doctor, pay to go see my doctor, get a new prescription, go to the pharmacy for this, you know, changing her insulin from one to another to get this. And after the fact, she finds out that the insulin she was taking before also had a deal. It just didn't happen to be covered by beyond type one. And that's uh, an issue, right? If, if especially if, if you are a organization advocating for people with, with a disease, trying to help them, if you're just picking and choosing which of these press releases you, you know, retweet, that has real effects in that case. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important with the news, especially because I don't honestly think we have a whole lot of objective diabetes media, you know, to even draw from anywhere. And then, too, when they started actually making moves to slide more into advocacy. And that's where I think it becomes a huge conflict of interest as well, where you essentially are having pharma-funded advocacy, and who is that advocacy for? Absolutely. So that really uh, introduces us to getinsulin.org. Um, do, you, do you remember you know, first hearing about this, first checking out the website? Yeah, I remember like typing in my zip code, trying things out. And for me, it was really frustrating because we were... When was that? Was that the summer? It was the summer. So we were starting to toss around ideas about doing like a mutual aid org and compiling patient resources, getting really good at navigating PAPS. Like that was all stuff that 
we were already doing as a community. And the fact that it took Beyond Type One four years to do this with insulin manufacturer money and staff. And then they came out and touted it like it was this huge achievement, a huge accomplishment. Like it's kind of, I feel like the project that they are really pushing and promoting right now. And that's something that like they had resources to build for four years. So why did it even take four years to do this? And why did the insulin manufacturers need to fund it? Yeah. And, and, because of that insulin manufacturer money on a website about insulin manufacturer resources, right? Which they also have on their own websites, right? It's not like they've invented anything new here, right? They haven't invented a way to get insulin. It's just really a database you search that leads you to another website, whether it says, apply for uh, Medicaid, go to the Eli Lilly patient assistance program, or go get Walmart insulin is really like the three options it gives you. And I think the issue with, like in, in theory, having a tool that people can use easily is great. But when it becomes a tool of insulin companies to show how good they are. They're like, oh, insulin's expensive, so we have all these great programs for you to afford it. I mean, I, I don't know if that fools people, but it could. And I think that it it makes it seem like these programs are really great when these organizations, well, these insulin makers have been kind of like dismantling these programs over years, making it harder and harder to access you know, this, you know, putting the barrier of how much money you need to make a year um, higher and higher, uh, the amount of insulin you can get lower and lower, stuff like that. Well, and so many of these resources just straight up didn't exist until we had the advocate outrage about the high prices of insulin. Like there were no options in the early to mid 2010s. I mean, there were options, but, you know, patient assistance programs that, you know, are by design hard to get into and means tested and you have to have your doctor sign off on and you essentially need a social worker to get you through it. And then we've always kind of had the standard, you know, copay cards for insulins. So you can use it for 12, maybe 24 months. But some of these newer programs like Novo's 3 for 99 or the $35 pandemic Lily card, like these are like relatively new programs too. And then we have the fact that Beyond Type 1's Get Insulin website, like it's compiling resources. Like they're not seeing people through who are trying to access these resources. And these programs are still really hard to use. Copay cards are confusing. Pharmacists, you have to have the pharmacist run it through a specific way. So you'll get pushback at the pharmacy. And like, if you don't know how to ask the pharmacist that, oh, I need this run through without my insurance, or if you have a formulary issue, or you have to go to your doctor like Sierra did to get her prescription like switched over, like using these programs is really difficult in itself. And so there's no follow through 
you know, beyond just compiling resources. Like they're providing no support on how to actually use these resources in any practical way. And their resource bank also just isn't comprehensive. Like we know of a ton of other resources out there that exist for accessing insulin and beyond type one's not putting it together or, you know, seeking it out. And so it's still frustrating that it's not even a resource that is that great to use for people. And I think from an an advocacy organization perspective, you know, they're not critiquing the programs for not doing that, right? For because they're touting these programs and they're paid to tout these programs, um, you're not getting articles on Beyond Type One's website saying patient system programs are shit. Like people shouldn't have to jump through all these hoops especially the people who can't afford their insulin if they're, you know, working two jobs or in any other types of circumstances where they just don't have the time and resources to navigate a complicated website and program that's designed to be complicated so that they don't have to give you cheap insulin. You know, you're not getting beyond type one, JDRF, ADA, advocating for people with type one against these things saying, let's just make insulin cheaper. And that's sucks. Definitely. And then when they did make insulin cheaper, I mean, we ended up with essentially half price insulin, right? With, you know, Lispro. The Eli Lilly generic. Yeah. And that came rife with a bunch of other problems with accessing it, right? Where one, they named it Insulin Lispro, which is the scientific name of Humalog anyway. And that confused the hell out of pharmacies and pharmacists. And then you had issues where it was only stocked in certain pharmacies. And so I know Senator Warren, and I think it was Blumenthal, went through and did like an investigation on whether people could even access this half-price generic insulin. And that was even hard to like go in and do as well. And so even like, it's like every single time they try to do something, it just ends up being such a logistical nightmare to even get the cheaper insulin out of it. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious that insulin makers don't want to make insulin cheaper. Like, you know, they, blame the system, right? But these organizations have, you know, $24 billion in profits every year. Just profits. That's a, that's a lot of money. They could make a copay cap card that says 25 bucks a month never expires. We've solved it. Go Go print this out. Take it to your pharmacist. Done. We've done our good deed. They could just decide not to deal with pharmacy benefit managers, just have these stocked at pharmacies, not on a formulary, and everyone would just pay the list price that they choose, which could be $25. Well, don't forget about the pizza, Craig. Oh, we have to get to the pizza. I think pizza has to be a whole nother episode. (laughs) That's our pizza teaser, everyone. And I think, you know, this conflict of interest then trickles over into other things too, like There was lots of coverage of the Alex Smith law in Minnesota and how the representatives there were trying to 
make emergency insulin available to people who need it. Not a lot of coverage of the fact that the insulin makers, the ones sponsoring these organizations, are now suing Minnesota for doing that. So you kind of just get all the the good news, right? Instead of the actual news. Um, And it, it feels a lot to me like they're just putting out the press releases, like they're just retweeting the press releases and not doing the work um, that people on Twitter are doing, right? When something's announced, people go in, they look at it. Yeah. That ties into last week's episode with the Montana copay cap laws where people say, this is great. And you're like, is it? And you, full-time job, uh, presumably hobbies outside of insulin data, you're shaking your head, Um you know, if just you not getting paid to do this can go and figure all this out, like why aren't the organizations who say they're advocating for us, like really fighting for us? Yeah. And I think it's frustrating too that like we have so many good resources coming out of the community. Like there's a bunch of us who write content, who deeply understand these issues. You know, for instance, like the Biden raising the price of insulin, you know, fake news of the past like few weeks, right? Like, you know, Kristen Whitney Daniels came out with like an actual really knowledgeable thread on that. It's a Twitter thread, but she came out with better information on that, like quicker than any of the organizations did. And so these organizations aren't even like nimble enough to put out like timely content that we need. And I think too, we saw that with vaccine prioritization, where I had a better understanding of vaccine prioritization for type ones in all 50 states that was better than any org coming out you know, with their, like, DPAC finally did a letter. ADA just had links to all the state websites. Like, they didn't even put any data together. And we also, the grassroots with Type 1 International, beat them to a coordinated letter to the CDC with, like, authors of these studies, like, signing onto the letter. And so, like, our kind of content out of the community is really good. Like we're really good at this and we have no resources. And so, you know, I think this is a side rant, but, you know, I think that really just kind of pisses me off with all of this too. That it's like, oh, they have staff, they have this insulin money now, and they're still not putting out anything that we need. Yeah. And, and sometimes I guess it feels like it's going against what the community is doing, right? It's more than just not utilizing the resources well, like building things that websites that Sanofi can tweet out and say, did you know we have all of these great insulin resources? And, you know, literally every comment on that post is people saying you could just lower the price of insulin, but that's not coming from organizations claiming to represent us. And I, and I think it's really important because if, if you don't like what you're, you know, what's going on in government, what do you what do you do, Hannah? You go and vote, right? You say I don't like this, you know, Trump guy. Let's try someone new. 
And that's and that's you actually going out there. Maybe you win, maybe you don't, but you actually have a voice in like who represents you in the government. We don't get to choose who represents us as diabetics. People with a lot of money, like Nick Jonas, can go out and make an organization and just say that we all voted for them, right? They get to just claim us in the same way that Trump can go out and say, I'm the greatest president ever. Everyone voted for me. Like, don't believe anything else. And that's kind of scary as someone with type one. It's kind of scary for anyone. Like you and I, we could just start an organization right now for anything and raise enough money to go to politicians, sit in their office and tell them what laws to make. What should should we choose? Like uh, people with uh, eight toes, you know, that could be our association. And we could go out there and say, we represent everyone, the interests of everyone with eight toes in the United States. And we want stairs to be shorter so people with eight toes can walk in them. And they'll say, sure, yes, pass the law, done. Without ever talking to anyone who has eight toes. And I'll say, I mean, I don't have eight toes. Uh, I don't know if you have eight toes. I don't have eight toes, but I'm actually really intrigued by this prospect now. Right? So you have people who run these organizations who are on, you know, run the boards or in the C-level who don't have diabetes going out and saying, we know what is best for people with type 1 diabetes and then cashing the check for the organizations that literally everyone with type 1 diabetes does not like. And it's so hard for anyone to wrap their head around this concept, right? Because they come out and assume that patient advocacy organizations are here to represent us. They're doing great things for us. Most people with diabetes want these orgs to be our voices on these issues. That's what's scary. But the reality of JDRF or American Diabetes Association or what we're seeing with Beyond Type 1 starting to get into this space as well is that this is no different than like big tobacco like lobbyists going on the hill, right? And this is just another like venue for pharma to have influence and pharma to exert influence in politics. And it's a way where they use patient advocacy organizations as a shield and they fund patient advocacy organizations and fund programs so that they can too curry favor with the community. And then the community will turn just not look at the destruction pharma's actually causing to our community. And the patient advocacy organizations are just entirely bought up and influenced and are pharma agents. And, you know, we talked about that in our Montana copay cap uh, episode with the ADA who gets a lot of money from pharma and is out there you know, as you said, the number one driver of these bills in states. It's scary. I don't know if scary is right. Sad. And it's not just our space either. This is every patient advocacy organization is like this. Something like 90, upper 90% of them, there was a study, I could pull that, but 
most of them, almost all of them take money from pharma. And for other disease groups, there's probably an argument to be made where they want that pharma power and they want that pharma influence because you may have a rare disease and you're looking for more drug funding or your there are legitimate reasons for pharma funding a patient advocacy organization and a patient advocacy organization actually doing good things with that pharma money for the type 1 space like we have insulin like what is there for pharma to really like fight for from like a us having insulin we need standpoint right and instead all they're doing is jacking up the price like our big issue, like the big issue that's standing between us living the lives we want to live, you know, actually being able to survive on a day-to-day basis is pharma. And I don't know if every other disease group and every other patient advocacy organization space, I don't know if they all necessarily have that issue. But for us, it's clearly like pharma is the issue that is standing in between us and a good quality of life. Yeah. I mean, I I can't count the number of times I've heard from people or even felt myself like you are trapped by having a job with good insurance or you're trapped into not getting married and potentially, you know, not being able to use certain patient assistance programs or uh, government health care. Being able to just, you know, go on a trip and not worry if you break that vial of insulin that is going to cost you $300 at the pharmacy. They affect all of us and all of our decisions, right? And kind of that, I don't know, that like underlying anxiety, I guess, right? Like that's that's the cause, is pharma's list price of insulin. You get rid of that, and I think everything's much better. It's not great, right? Still have to deal with Dexcom Super Bowl ad and you know this and that, but that's that's the big one. Um, and it, and if you realize that. Me, patient advocacy organization, representing people with type 1, a quarter of the people I claim to represent are rationing their insulin, right? Dying, doing untold long-term complications because of rationing insulin. And that, you know, extreme level of like day-to-day fear that they're living with, shouldn't I care about that? Like that's a, that's a quarter of the people. Like that's, that's pretty big percentage. And to your point, it's not like the rest of us are happy-go-lucky, like everything's great. It's like enemy number one is the list price of insulin. Yeah. So you had uh, asked me at the beginning to like go through why and then like kind of what I did. And I, I guess that's a good way to like wrap this up. Yeah, because like beyond type one's role in type one run – like type one run isn't out there doing like advocacy on insulin, right? It's like we're doing advocacy about diabetes, about having diabetes and being in a sport, but y'all aren't out here doing insulin advocacy either. So it's like, is there really that kind of conflict with like type one run and beyond type one even? And so, 
it's like, I feel like you didn't have to go through and do this, but you did. And I think that's what makes this really interesting. Yeah. And I, you know, put it off for a long time. And I, and I, and I think my process was kind of like that as well. Like I kind of knew I wasn't the one making the decisions, right? Like I wasn't in the room with Eli Lilly agreeing to take their money and feeling like, you know, I'm on this periphery kind of thing, just kind of like watching it, not necessarily doing anything. So like, who cares? Like no one cares about Craig Steubing. And I did have lots of people ask me like, oh, you're being so critical of them. Um, why don't you quit? And I think that was, you know, the main thought, like it doesn't matter, but you know, it's not like I hate the organization. Like you said, like we want organizations to represent us and fight for us. Um, I would love nothing more than to wake up tomorrow morning and see the front page of Beyond Type 1 saying this is a letter to you know every representative in the United States on why we need a lower list priced insulin and have Nick Jonas you know go meet Biden give him a private concert if that's what it takes and tell him this is this is a big deal I I want that because I know that me tweeting at, you know, Biden or Governor Newsom here in California isn't going to do anything, right? That's why these advocacy organizations matter, that they can go and they, they have real weight. And so I don't hate them. I'm, I'm really just more sad than anything, I guess. Um, I'm sad that they've taken this path when they were so adamant to not take this path. Like, like it, it's, it, it doesn't seem accidental. Um, well, yeah. And they were able to build a brand on taking that moral standpoint that yeah. they just completely did a 180 on. And, and kind of never really addressed it either until they got called out. Um, and I, and I think the reason why I left was more so that I didn't, I don't know, feel icky when I woke up in the morning, like the, the night I wrote the letter was maybe like the best night of sleep I've gone in a long time. And it's not, not to say that I was up every night worrying about beyond type one, taking insulin money and get insulin.org and Nick Jonas's Dexcom commercial. Like, you know, I think it was just, you know how you feel when you just do the right thing. And then you just, you know, you help, help a little old lady cross the street. You buy someone's coffee for them behind you in line. You know, whatever good thing it is, let someone merge on the highway, right? Sometimes that's all it takes. Um, I think that's just kind of like the feeling like 
I knew what they were doing was wrong. I wasn't for it. And I wanted, uh, I really wanted people to understand why. Um, so that people could really become their own advocates so that we don't necessarily have to rely on beyond type one to advocate for us. Like we all have that power and, you know, if we make enough of a noise, unfollow enough accounts, talk to enough politicians. Yeah. We can make a difference. And I think that was like, you know, that was a big lesson, I think, in general in 2020, showing the power of people to organize, to advocate. Um, and I think that it's time for type ones to do that too. Yeah. I, yeah. I, st I still don't really feel like I can really put it into words. Yeah, well, it makes sense. You've got such yeah. a history with them, too. But yeah. I think it was just really commendable. And I think we saw this, too, just all the feedback you got for taking that stand and very concisely laying out all the issues in the letter to be on type one to a point where they just can't ignore it. And you know, hopefully it's one of those things where it starts with you, it starts with Sierra, it starts with you all being leaders here. But can we get everyone else who's really tied up into these orgs who are maybe like feeling a little icky or like questionable about their involvement? Can we get all of those folks too to take a stand on their values and come be leaders on the grassroots? Because I, we would love to have more. We would have love to have more diabetes leaders here. And there's plenty enough space for that. And we need people's leaderships and we need people's skills and we need people's depth of knowledge from being in some of these more traditional PAO spaces. And we'll welcome people with open arms. Yeah. We all have such different experiences and it all matters when trying to tell the story of living with type one diabetes and, and what we need and what we deserve, you know, to sleep easy at night, knowing we can get insulin. One of these days. Before you go listeners, if you like this episode, please leave a review of beta cell in your podcast app. It really helps other people find the show. Standing ovation. Out of Range is a production of Beta Cell and is produced and edited by me, Craig Steubing. If you have advocacy topics you want us to hash out for you, let us know. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Beta Cell Podcast, and you can email me at craig at betacellpodcast.com. Beta Cell is a listener-supported show, which means our episodes are made for you, not some corporation. If you like our work, you can support us for as little as $5 a month on Patreon. There's a link in the show notes with how to join. Thanks. Don't tell me you're sorry cause you're not. Baby, when I know you're only sorry you got caught. But you put on quite a show.